0: This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and
1: inspiration, only on market MarketScale. They're no
0: longer sitting there with a pen and paper.
2: Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can
1: access a wide range of content.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm your host, Tyler Kern, and I'm excited to welcome two excellent guests from iStation into the studio today. First of all, we have Dr. Victoria Locke. She's the research director at iStation. Dr. Locke, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Absolutely. And then Dr. Bill Foley. he is the senior vice president of development research. Dr. Foley, thank you for being here as well. Thank you. Absolutely. So today we are talking about reading, and reading is obviously an essential skill in this day and age, and today we're going to take a look at best practices for teaching reading to our students, but also then evaluating progress, and we're going to dive a lot into that as well towards the back half of the podcast. But the method that the both of you are uh, large proponents of is the Big Five, and so today we're going to explore a lot about that. What are the basics of the Big Five? What do we need to know about that first and foremost just as we dive into the podcast today?
1: I think the most important thing to realize about the Big Five is that it's all research-based. Mm-hmm. This um, has been years in the making. It came out of the National Reading Panel in 1997 that looked at hundreds of research articles as regarding how to teach children well um, learning to read. And English is a difficult task. Learning to read is actually one of the more difficult things we learn as human beings. Mm-hmm. So um, after they did three years of research, they came up with you know the five areas um, that need to be addressed in any kind of reading curriculum. And so those are phonemic awareness, um, phonics, fluency with text, comprehension, and vocabulary. And these skills tend to scaffold up on top of one another. So there is an order to them.
0: Absolutely and, and Dr. Folley, one of the things that you really specialize in is that research type side of things and as you kind of look at the method by which they came to these five, as you evaluate it, what what made these five stand out and what was so important about the research they did to land on these five uh, that we call the big five now?
2: Well, uh, the English language as as you know is a is a complex language it's mm-hmm required to know certain vocabulary and context in order to even pronounce words correctly. So even just to be able to read out loud the word read and the word read, they're spelled the same. You have to know the context to know which one we're talking about. Uh, As a result of that, all these five things intertwine with each other. And the, the research shows that if they learn The early skills first and then learn the other skills on top of that, that they'll build on one another all the way through to fluency, which is when you can read uh, without pausing.
0: Yeah, I find that 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 building element really, really fascinating, the way that each one uh, kind of helps inform the next, I suppose. And like you mentioned, a scaffolding effect. How do you view these five and the scaffolding effect of them? How do you think that they best meet the needs of students? How do these five particular things really meet the needs of students as they're learning how to read? And as you've mentioned, English is a really complicated language and complex.
1: So if you think of the children that show up at the kindergarten door, they're Mm -hmm. coming from all different um, backgrounds, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds, um, their exposure in the home to reading—some of them have had it, some of them have not—and so the Big Five helps to meet students where they are. So, if you have a child that shows up in kindergarten and say that this child has um, never been to uh, preschool or Head Start, mm-hmm. um, and they don't have some of the basic skills, they'll start them off with the phonemic awareness, which is really where they start everybody off with, but they'll be at different levels. And so, it's important to understand what phonemic awareness is, and yeah. that is being able to hear the different sounds in a word. So knowing that the word cat, for example, is composed of k, at, three distinct different sounds. So being able to hear the sounds and the um, the graphemes um, and the phonemes in the words, that's where we start by picking picking out the beginning sounds, vowel sounds, ending sounds. Um, And from there, once the student is able to hear the different sounds in the word, um, then they're also able to um, start learning the alphabet and Mm -hmm. learning which sounds go with which letters of the alphabet. Um, So that's the second layer. And then the third layer is being able to put the sounds with um, the symbols in the alphabet. So uh, to get back to your question of, you know, what is the beauty of it, um, it is partly um, just being able to meet students where they are on that um, continuum and move them all the way through to fluency.
0: Absolutely. And I think one of the things that, that I want to kind of follow up and ask about is that obviously you mentioned students come from different backgrounds, different um, you know, levels of understanding when they first enter uh, the school type atmosphere, and um, maybe they have different understandings coming in. How does the program flex to kind of meet the needs of students as you know, students come in with different levels of understanding and might have different paces at which they learn and that sort of thing?
2: So one of the first things that we do is administer uh, an assessment or test that, Mm -hmm. that lets us know where the student stands. Then we try to put them into the part of the curriculum that makes sense based on their needs. We also have teacher resources that will help the teachers understand where the small groups might best benefit. So they'll put certain students into the same group and use some of our teacher resources or their own resources to focus on different parts of the spectrum that they're dealing with. But the program itself has that spectrum built into it. It knows where to start people to give them the instruction that they need.
0: Absolutely. So, one of the things just as I hear you uh, talking about this, there's a lot about implementation and how this um, this is actually implemented into the classroom. So, I think people sometimes might hear, oh, five steps and this, they build on each other and that makes a lot of sense in theory. But then in practice, when it's, it gets into a classroom and there are real-life students there, can it actually work? So, how have you found that this actually works in a classroom and how has it gone implementing this into an actual classroom with live students and Uh, with teachers actually kind of working with these students? How have you found implementation to be?
2: Uh, The schools, we find the schools that do the best job of implementation have the best results. When We have some, I believe, some research that will show that.
1: So the good implementation starts out with um, good teacher training. Mm -hmm. And we find that teachers that know how to use the system and know what all is available to them do the best jobs of implementation. Also, if there is good support for the program at the higher levels, say at the um, principal level or the superintendent level, then implementation um, tends to be better. But what a good implementation looks like is um, the children are – they start off with the assessment. Um, they, um, the results are available instantaneously. The children are routed into curriculum befitting, you know, where they are on the continuum of learning to read. And then the teacher has um, reports that um, he or she can pull up, and it will show where the students are at on all of the different um, levels of skill. And so then we also have um, what are called some teacher-directed lessons, and so the teachers can pull down these lessons and give administer them to small groups. So if you have a classroom of, say, 20 students and five of them are struggling with phonemic awareness, you don't need to have the whole class focus on that. You just need to pull out those five students that are struggling in that mm-hmm. area. So that's another good um, implementation practice. We also see at some schools where they will have uh, data-sharing meetings, and they have a monthly meeting amongst all of the teachers, you know, in a grade. They talk about their data, what students are struggling, um, what they're doing in order to help their students, you know, improve the next time. And so we see that, you know, having some sort of... um, Accountability, but also some brainstorming um, amongst the teachers about how what to do to you know improve students' skills is also very helpful.
2: We've also found that the students, when they have visibility into their own performance, that they can do better too. They they see it as a goal, and a lot of times teachers will set up progress boards and things like that uh, that help the kids understand where they stand and make it kind of fun for them to. To make progress.
0: Absolutely. So I think that's a that's a big thing, right, is being able to measure progress. And that's something that both of you are really interested in just as you look at, you know, the, these methods for, for teaching reading in, in schools. It's just being able to, to measure progress and to collect that data. So kind of walk me through how you measure progress and uh, what are some of the ways that teachers have at their disposal to kind of continually move students along in their progression to full fluency?
2: For reading, our program gives an assessment that focuses on the different areas of the big five separately. So one of the things we'll do is we'll start with making sure that they understand that letters make sounds and that they know what those sounds are and even what the letters look like to begin with. Once they've mastered that or possibly in the process of mastering that, they'll also understand what the student's vocabulary is. Uh, We do this through what's called adaptive testing. So in order to give tests every month like this you know they give big year end tests that take all day so what we do instead is we give them an adaptive test that's a computer algorithm that knows okay they didn't do as well on this one so they need an easier question or they didn't they did really well on these so they need harder questions and it'll get up to a point where it can measure what their ability is up at the the very level that they're at where they get some of the questions right and some of the questions wrong. Obviously, if they get them all right, we don't know very much. So we make the test of where they're going to get some right and some wrong, and then we know where they're at. Now we know where to start from in the curriculum, and we do that across all the different skills, again, scaffolded. So as they make progress on their base skills, then we add in the other skills like comprehension.
1: So I think what the um, beauty of it is, is that in the big five, we're meeting the student where they're at along yeah. the continuum. But the computer adaptive test does the same thing. It also meets them where they are. And um, if, because at the, the first of the year, it will give them uh, a question that's just kind of medium difficulty. And then it calibrates from there whether or not they need harder or easier questions. So the uh, big five is set up to meet them where they are. And our assessment is as well.
0: That's really phenomenal. Now, uh, one of the things I'm curious about is just how uh, how vital the feedback that you get from teachers has been just in the creation and in the full implementation of this. And as you kind of make minor tweaks along the way, how vital has that uh, communication with teachers been?
1: Oh, it's been wonderful. We're working with some uh, research partners that have done some uh research in a couple of school districts Mm -hmm. um, across the country, and they meet with teachers and give us a a qualitative report back from focus groups. And that has enabled us to uh, make improvements along the way, make some changes, uh, make some enhancements. And so um, it's not just the feedback that we got from teachers in the early years of development, but it's ongoing. And I just received a qualitative report last week. So our research is ongoing into product improvement and development.
2: And the students themselves actually help us develop the assessments and some of the curriculum as well through focus groups and various uh, usage like that or, or through what we call a IRT pretest where they take the test to figure out how difficult these items are in the first place. They, and when I say items, I mean questions on the test that we give them the assessments.
0: Have you seen attitudes towards teaching change a little bit more towards individualized um, attention and smaller groups and that sort of thing and found that the adaptive testing method actually helps maybe provide for that a little bit better. Just as you see strengths and weaknesses laid out a little bit more specifically through the testing model, the teachers are then able to more accurately and individually address what each student needs specifically as opposed to just trying to... um, I suppose, throw out a lot of information to 20, 30 students at a time and hoping that it lands where it needs to land and that sort of thing?
1: Well, that's the um, entire program, both the um, curriculum, the assessment, and the progress monitoring tools that um, iStation provides. It is designed to be able to provide intensive instruction to those who need it um, and intervention. And so that way, the teacher can segment the groups and say, okay, these kids just need a little bit of help Um, with their phonics, with being able to decode a word. Um, These kids are all the way back at the beginning. They really need to focus on phonemic awareness. So we provide the reports for that. We provide instruction for it so that they can differentiate instruction, which which is vital because if the students who are struggling don't get the instruction that they need, then they'll just keep falling further behind. But on the other end, if the um, students who have mastered, if they've mastered phonemic awareness, if we keep teaching it, then they start to lose engagement. So you really need to be able to provide what each student needs.
0: I think uh, in some of the reading materials that that you have on your website and that's available through iStation, um, you said that uh, reading comprehension in the third grade is a huge indicator of success in the eighth grade, which is a huge su- indicator of success, you know, future success in high school. And so really building those building blocks and making sure those first steps are mastered in the, you know, in the progress on the way to, to learning how to read, really vital for the future of a student, I would say. And so it, you're right, that, that early mastery and that ability to then hone in on what a student needs to succeed can have massive uh, ramifications throughout the rest of their educational career.
2: Yeah, and and by dividing it up into the, the big five areas, one thing we can also check is if their vocabulary is what's deficient versus their ability to understand the letters or something like that, that has its own implications too. They may need to focus specifically on vocabulary because, as I mentioned before, just to read the word read versus read or to understand some of these more complex words, they have to understand what the vocabulary is in the first place or they won't even know how to pronounce it or read it or understand it for sure.
0: So, what ongoing research are you are you undertaking to um, continue to refine what you do and to build upon you know what you've already created with the Big Five and what's already uh, being implemented? What research are are you guys doing these days?
1: So, one of the projects that we're working on right now is to use um, our assessment as a screener for uh, students with dyslexia, hmm. which is a learning disability, and um, the. A student with at risk for dyslexia will show um, a different pattern than, say, your more garden variety poor reader. Mm -hmm. So, a student with dyslexia, they'll have. um, a pattern of strengths and weaknesses. So some of their strengths are actually in vocabulary and listening comprehension. Those are some you know, compensatory yeah. tools that they have in their toolbox. But they'll be uh, weaker in phonemic awareness, phonics, alphabetic decoding, some of those skills. And so the teachers will be able to look at a uh, report for a kindergarten student and see their strong in listening comprehension. Um, They're strong in vocabulary, they're weak in phonics, and uh, we're working to, you know, help educate um, uh, teachers on what this means. Because say a student is in kindergarten, say their birthday is in March or April, and the Teacher looks at this report and think, oh, well, this child has a spring birthday. They just need more time to catch up. You right. know, they might refer them for retention. Um, when actually, that's the worst thing that that you can do for a student with dyslexia. They need intensive inter- intervention, and they need it now. And the longer you wait, that um, window of opportunity starts to narrow down. Hmm. So that's one of the things that you know I'm more you know passionate about about getting um, some of that word out to you know, help catch some of these kids because the research shows that with intensive instruction, they can cope and we can, you know, mediate that risk. They'll still have it. It's a neurobiological disorder. You can't cure it, but you can find ways to um, become reading proficient.
0: You know, that's uh, that actually speaks, like, very specifically to me. My younger brother is, you know, is dyslexic, and it wasn't until the third grade that the teacher kind of finally maybe kind of thought that she had it figured out what was going on and by that point he was so far behind that eventually my mom took him out of school and homeschooled him just to like give him the individual attention but that's not possible for every student right and so what you're describing is a very real scenario that takes place for a lot of students and that individual attention if it's not you know, if it's not caught in enough time can be lacking and so it, it, that is a big issue and so it's it's interesting that's something that you're tackling uh and looking to kind of um uh, I suppose help curb in the future.
1: Right. It's something I'm, um, very interested and very passionate in. And it's, um, it's so important for those students because that is the typical pattern is to wait until their third grade before Mm -hmm. they finally give them the diagnosis. Um, in the past it's always been, oh, they just need more time to catch up. They're just struggling a little bit. They're a poor reader. And, um, but by third grade, it's, it's it's almost too late, yeah. developmentally speaking.
0: Dr. Folly, what about you? What is some of the uh, the other research uh, that you're doing right now that is kind of refining what you do at iStation? Well, one of the things that I'm excited about
2: is our new oral reading fluency product that's just come out because it involves some neat technical advances, including using uh, artificial intelligence to recognize a passage as the students reading it to determine how well they read it automatically. So that's something that's out there and we're working on possibly other projects with that kind of technology just to see what we can do with it now that we have it in place so we're we're looking at uh, we're always of course looking at what what the customer is looking for the teachers administrators and students need and we're doing some um, research around that too to try to Figure out, for example, one of the new research projects we're looking at is the correlation of the scores across grades so that we can look more at longitudinal data. We're missing that in some cases. In other cases, that's there. So we're just trying to fill in some of the gaps.
0: That's really really fascinating. I love all of the uh, the work that you're doing just in this area of ensuring that every student kind of gets that gets the building blocks that they need, and every student kind of is uh, in the spot that they need to be able to learn how to read effectively and move forward with their educational career. Especially now that uh, reading isn't viewed as something that is uh, just oh it's it's good that you know how to it's it's essential in today's day and age that you you have these skills and these abilities, and it's almost thought of as as a given. And so making sure that students have these abilities early on is uh, of vital importance.
1: Well, it's important for the students and their families, and it's important for our society as a whole. The research shows that if by the end of third grade a um, s- student isn't reading on grade level, mm-hmm. they have a higher risk of dropping out, going on welfare, going into prison. So it's, um, it's, 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 it's important for everybody, not just for the students and their families themselves, but for our whole society.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and finally, I just kind of want to wrap up by asking a little bit more about how iStation makes it really easy to follow the progress of students as they're going, just seeing progress reports both for parent and teacher and student. I I think that that's a big thing just to have that that measuring stick by which to just understand exactly where each student is. How does iStation really help make that easy?
2: We have a reporting site that delivers the data as quickly as we get it. Mm -hmm. So that's that's something that we pioneered in this field, I think, is, is the ability to instantly see those results. Previously, you know, with the old paper tests or even some of the computer tests, they took the results and spent weeks or even months sometimes correlating what all the results were. iStation gives you that instant information to know where they stand and then to be able to deliver the uh, correct remedies right away.
1: Um, and we also have a variety of reports. So there are some that are very high level that are for district administrators um, mm-hmm. to show how the district as a whole or how a school as a whole, is doing, or how a grade in a school is doing. And then it drills down into the classroom level that teachers can use, and then individual student reports. And so um, and it shows a graph. So you can see the trend line on whether a student is gaining or decreasing in a skill. And actually, it's the trend line that's the, you know, most important thing for a teacher to uh, look at, not just one particular data point, but, you know, where is the growth over time. And if the student has been in the, uh, in the same school or in the same school system for a couple of years, um, we have some uh, – we have the ability to produce a, um, longitudinal data so they can go back to kindergarten and see, you know – Um, where was this child um, in kindergarten on phonemic awareness, letter knowledge? Does this tell us why they're still struggling in second grade, for example? We're not able to produce that if a child changes school districts, but if they stay Mm -hmm. in the same school district, we can follow them throughout the grades.
0: Have you found that there's more of an openness to data these days just as it feels like more and more of our lives, there's there's always more access to, to data uh, these days. Have you found that there's more access or there's more interest and um, more weight placed on it these days than maybe there was in the past?
1: Um, I think teachers really like having data, especially hmm. if they're taught how to use and interpret the reports. Um, and they really like seeing children's progress. The kids like seeing the progress. The yeah. principals like seeing the progress. So um, I think the more they use it, the more they like it.
2: Our reading reports are broken out by the individual Big Five skills as well, so they, they can see the progress in each of those skills independently and understand where,
0: where a child stands precisely. Absolutely. Well, I love that and I love the the individual attention that children can receive uh, as a result of the Big Five program. So, Dr. Victoria Locke and Dr. Bill Folly, thank you guys so much for joining me today and explaining a little bit more about the Big Five and how you're helping students learn how to read. Thank you. Thank you.